Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Okay. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Lovely. Thank you. Awesome. Yes. I want to ask you about something. Okay, so I don't know if you've noticed, but we're living in interesting times. I, I picked up some signs of this. Had yeah. you been picking up on that a little bit? I mean, yes. you know, yeah, Captain yes. Obvious. Um, yes. so you know, with, within my bubble here in Richmond, Virginia, <laughs> okay, you know, I, you know, picked up some, you know, uh, unsettling things have been going on. Yes. Well, there, so there's um, so as part of the the Black Lives Matter movement and as part of the protests and other things that are happening across the nation, we're hearing um, a couple of things about things like defunding the police and and that sort of thing. And I want to talk to you about one of the things specifically that I keep hearing about, which is qualified immunity. Yes, I don't. I'm not entirely certain that I know exactly what qualified immunity is. So if you could explain it to me, I would appreciate it. And then, so what I hear is we need to get rid of it. And I would like to know if that's a thing too. So can we kind of talk about that? Yeah, we can go ahead and talk about that. All right. Okay. Um, So what is qualified immunity? Okay. So basically it's the idea that government officials cannot be legally liable for actions that violate statutory or constitutional rights of another person unless the violation clearly violated clearly established law okay so basically it's the idea that government officials are immune from lawsuits okay unless okay it is demonstrated that the government official knew their actions violated the law uh, or the constitution. Okay. Okay, and, and the so, debate, and the basic idea behind any kind of govern, government immunity, whether it be qualified or absolute immunity from lawsuit, is that um, government officials would be unable to do their work if they were spending all of their time in court fending off lawsuits where people, okay, were complaining that the government or a specific government official were violating their rights. So, okay, that's not completely unreasonable, right? I mean, if you, if you were, if you're a police officer and you're doing your regular job, and I'm not talking about Mr. Floyd or other things that have happened that have been clearly, um, outside the boundaries of what would considered a normal police officer's job. But like, so I'm speeding along, not that I would ever do this. (laughs) I'm speeding along on highway 295. And I look down and realize that I'm going about 95 miles an hour. And that's right when I pass a police officer who also realizes I'm going around 95 miles an hour and pulls me over. And in the course of pulling me over, right, gives me a ticket but, um, I mean, there's a, there, there, to your point, there are a lot of things that government officials do, police officers or otherwise, okay, that upset people. 
yeah okay. i i don't want you to give me a ticket for 95 over and okay and you're like it, yeah but that's what you were doing and so and 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 in the reaction of many americans i mean let's face it uh, of all the things that the united states is known for around the world oh okay. being litigious is the yes. number one thing i'm gonna <laughs> sue you that's yeah. our that's but, that's almost as bad a phrase in the United States as, or almost as common a phrase as, "Hey, y'all, watch this." Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, it's, I'll see you in court. You know, the 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 French political philosopher and observer Alexis de Tocqueville wrote in the 1830s, "Democracy what, in America." Democracy in America, right? And one of the one of his, you know, rather astute observations was that he was not entirely sure that other nations wanting to build democracies should follow the American, if you will, practice of taking every dispute to court. He said it's just truly amazing how much Americans believe that every dispute can be addressed, should be addressed in court. Right. 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 That you don't just talk it out like people, you, you go to you court. Sue you sue someone. Follow, yeah, you file a lawsuit, right? Okay. And yeah. one could argue that, that in part that's because there are huge billboards all over the United States that say, have you been harmed in some way? Call 888, we'll get you money or whatever it is. Well, I mean, you know, and for somebody I mean, like me, who's, you know, usually up late or up really early doing work, I turn on the TV and there are <laughs> advertisements every like 10, 15 minutes for, you know, uh, have you been harmed by X? Right? Yes, uh, I think commonly referred to as ambulance chasers. That's right. Okay. But so, it does mean that we are fairly litigious. So I decide I'm going to sue the police officer for giving me a ticket because he hurt my feelings when he gave me a ticket. Because the first thing he said was, do you have any idea how freaking fast you were going? <laughs> right? Like, and I felt like he was being rude and mean to me. Yes. Now, there are because he's giving me a ticket in the course of normal job yes he okay. is immune from me taking him to court for being unpleasant or threatening or yeah. whatever in the way that he did the job is that correct yeah i mean because you know the the notion of any kind of immunity for government officials theoretically is problematic in the united states because we have a constitution um, which clearly establishes that no government official is above the law. I mean, you know, this, you know, you know. Yes, as our summer of SCOTUS showed us, lots of people are not above the law, above including the, law. the president. That's right. I mean, okay. And the notion of immunity for government officials actually is rooted in British common law. Because in British common law, um, particularly when Great Britain was still a pure monarchy. I mean, today it's a constitutional monarchy. But when Great Britain was a monarchy, um, you couldn't sue the king or the queen because the king or queen's power was derived from God. So theoretically, can you sue God in court? No. You might be able to, but he's probably not going to show up. Yeah, right. He's got a lot of other things to do. I mean, as I joke that. in my classes, okay, you can take the Lord's name in vain. You can, you know, make promises to God on a Friday night after you got too drunk, okay? In a foxhole. Yeah, 
okay, you can promise God you will never do X again when you got yourself out of a jackpot that you probably shouldn't have gotten into. But one of the things that you cannot do in court is take God to court, right? If, if the entity exists, right? So it flows from British common law. Wait, okay? can I ask a question? Yeah. Is that the Magna Carta? Well, is that, is that the document where like nobles could actually sue other nobles? Am I getting that right? Oh, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not getting that right. Uh, I mean, the thing that the Magna Carta is probably uh, most known for um, is the writ of habeas corpus, okay? That um, uh, the government cannot detain your body without giving a justification in a court of law. Oh, okay. okay. That's, that's okay. what I'm thinking. Okay. Which okay. is a pretty huge like, well, yeah, change pretty, in, in yes. the law right at that point, because before that, the king could just have you. Well, I mean, yeah, that was a well-known, if you will, uh, uh, monarchy practice, right? You I mean, would be disappeared. Yes. I mean, one of the best ways to go ahead, okay, and cut down on opposition movements <laughs> is to go ahead and disappear is, is the to get rid of, of the opposition movement. <laughs> yes, that's, we could ask President Putin about that because yes. that's what happens in Russia too, is lots of Yeah, I mean lots of opposition people just suddenly go missing and that's that. Yeah, it sends a rather clear message to anybody else who might want to oppose okay, the government of the day. Yeah. You, you you oppose you oppose the king or queen, by the way, bye bye. Right. Yeah. You might want to be stealthier because if yeah. we find out about it, it's not yeah. going to go well for you. Okay. But so. So, so immunity is an, is, is an odd legal construct in the United States. Okay. But it is rooted in British common law. And there are basically two forms of immunity. One is qualified, meaning that if you meet certain qualifications, you are immune from lawsuit. So with qualified immunity, if a government official is sued by an individual for violating their civil rights or their civil liberties, if the government official can show that what they did, okay, complied with established law or established constitutional norms, then they get the immunity. Uh, so if I'm if I'm pulled over and I'm going to sue the police officer because it took a long time to write the ticket and I was late for work and I got in trouble and blah, 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 he could say, he or she could say, this is how long it takes to write a ticket because I have to go back and I have to look you up in the system and I have to do all these things. Yes. I didn't treat you any differently than I treat anyone else. That's right. And, and, a, and a court would throw that out. A court yes. would say, no, this person was in the course of their job, doing their job as it is done. Yeah. Okay. The, the other form of immunity is known as absolute immunity. Okay. Meaning that whoever occupies a particular government position may never be sued for violating the rights of citizens. Okay. Do we have that? Um, there are a couple positions, uh, historically judges, as long as they're performing their official duties, because the nature of judging is you have to decide a winner or a loser. And just because the judge decided against you doesn't mean you can sue them for, you know, violating your civil rights. No, 
you went to a court and asked for the judge to decide. And if the judge rules against you, that does not mean your civil rights have been violated, right? Okay. Another example is that in most contexts, prosecutors have absolute immunity uh, because the nature of their job is to make discretionary decisions regarding um, who should be charged with a crime, what crimes they should be charged with, whether or not uh, an individual should go to trial or whether or not a plea bargain should be offered. So the thought is prosecutors could not do their jobs without receiving immunity based on the decisions that they make as part of their job. Okay. okay. Although, so uh, there's a case um, of the Duke lacrosse team yes. being accused of, um, of rape and violence against at least one young woman and maybe more than one young woman. And the person who prosecuted that um, was not, I don't think, he, uh, I, he must have had immunity from prosecution, I mean, from lawsuits, but he was, he basically was forced to resign. Yeah, he was forced because, to resign. Because and, and, he was, they, they thought that he was not, that he yeah, didn't he, handle it properly and he didn't do lots of things. So the families didn't get money from him, but they got him removed. They got him removed and is, uh, I could be wrong. Nifong, Nifong, Mike yeah, Nifong. Mike Nifong. Um, I think there was an effort made to uh, have him lose his law license. Yes, because, disbarred, yes. Yeah, because his, uh, his violations of the code of ethics for lawyers in the state of North Carolina um, were so obvious and manifest, okay? But um, he still didn't get sued for doing his role as a prosecutor. That's right. So he's falling under, so he's falling under absolute immunity for that. Yes. Okay. okay. Now, when did qualified immunity kind of sort of arise in the United States, okay? Um, the notion of qualified immunity be, uh, became important in particular um, after the United States Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1871, okay? The Civil Rights Act of 1871, okay? This was a law that Congress passed to enforce the 14th Amendment um, as being applicable to the states, okay? So basically what the law said was, if a state violated your privileges and immunities, you could sue the state in federal court for violating your civil rights. So basically the law gave individuals in states the opportunity to sue state government officials in federal court for violating their constitutional rights. So it didn't exist before that? No, okay. Okay, There's, so the first yes. 60, 70 years of the country, there was no recourse yeah, there against was no recourse. state officials. Yeah, okay. Okay. Now, the part of the law was section 1983. <laughs> section 1983, okay? Not 1983 the year, but section 1983. <laughs> Okay, and that's how they're actually referred to. Section 
1983 lawsuits. Okay, and these lawsuits were designed to hold government officials accountable. Because what you're talking about here is, particularly as you move into the 20th century, a lot of what the government does is not done by elected officials. Elected officials pass laws, sign laws, okay, sign bills into law, okay, but the implementation of most laws aren't done by elected officials, right? You know, we don't have the uh, city council of the city of Richmond handing out parking tickets. No. (laughs) I would pay money to see that. I would pay a lot of money to see city council have have to... Instead, they have a parking bureau, right? Right. Okay. Um, You don't have the mayor of Richmond okay, um, investigating crime. You have a police department, right? Right. Um, You know, the state, okay, doesn't have state legislators or the actual governor enforcing state law. That's why you have a state police department, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, the governor doesn't take your money. There's a department of the taxation that does that. Yeah. Or if the governor just showed up at your house and was like, I'm going to need a check for this amount of money, that would be both awesome and weird. But yeah, no, there's, okay. okay. So in a democracy. Sort of middle management-y type of people who actually yeah. do the thing. Yeah. Okay. Street level bureaucrats, right? Right. Cops, teachers, social workers, right? Clerks behind the DMV counter, right? Those are the people who implement the law. The problem is, democratically, how do you hold them accountable if they violate civil rights or civil liberties, right? I mean, if a member of the state legislature doesn't do the job you want, you think that they should be doing, okay, in two or four years, you can vote them out of office. Right. Okay. You don't like what a president is doing, okay, and they're up for re-election, well, vote for their opponent, right? So. But I can't vote the DMV lady out of her, no. out of her job. Or, Which is you know, a good thing because that also would be extraordinarily fraught. Oh, I mean, it would be extremely problematic in regards to governing, right? First I mean, of all, who would want those jobs if yeah, you could I mean, be at any moment sued? And second of all, there's no stability in the system because there's constantly... Turnover. Oh, right? yeah, no, that would be terrible. Okay, I mean, you know, you, you point out the fact, I mean... I joke with my students, you all might want the opportunity to vote professors out of their jobs, okay, but who in their right mind would go ahead and get a master's degree and get a PhD only to go ahead and the attendant student loans. Yes, right, only to have their students decide to go ahead and uh, uh, vote them out of office simply because a professor went ahead and made them write two papers instead of none, right? Okay, but you want an accountability measure. And that's what section 1983 lawsuits were kind of sort of designed to do, particularly for state government officials, because we have to be cognizant of the context. The concern of Congress was that many state officials would not comply with the 14th Amendment. 
And the 14th Amendment quite clearly says state citizens, okay, are, are supposed to receive privileges and immunities, receive equal protection under the law, and they're supposed to receive due process if state government abridges life, liberty, or property. Well, how do you make sure that those liberties are provided by state government officials, particularly in states that prior to the Civil War, okay, frequently treated an entire race of people, okay, as though they had no rights. That's the reason why you get the Civil Rights Act of 1871, but in particular section 1983 to allow the lawsuits. And notice that the lawsuits are in federal court, not state court. Right, because if the problem was the state, then the Can likelihood of collusion right. rule against state government officials. The likely collusion, well, they would probably also know those people. They might have been appointed by those people, like depending on who you're suing. That could be ordinary, extraordinarily problematic. Okay, so I can see why they changed the jurisdiction of that to try to get away from some of those pressures. So, that's in the latter part of the 19th century. You move into the 20th century, state government officials uh, begin to go ahead and argue, okay, in court when they've been sued, okay, per section 1983, hey, we deserve at least some form of immunity, okay, because otherwise we can't do our jobs. We're gonna spend all of our time in court or we're not gonna be able to attract good people because all we're doing, okay, is getting sued, okay, for doing our job. Had they been, had there been a lot of lawsuits or were they reaching for that because it was a way to Scholars are mixed on that, Nia. Some okay. scholars said, okay, yes, there were lawsuits. This was a viable threat. Other scholars are like, there weren't that many lawsuits. And interestingly enough, what scholars can agree upon is initially the federal courts were not buying the qualified immunity argument, right? The federal courts thought initially was if Congress passed the 1871 Civil Rights Act, if Congress wants to create an exception, a kind of sort of good faith, qualified immunity exception, then it should be up to the legislative branch to do so, okay? Okay. But And they didn't, so they must have not wanted it that way. <laughs> there you go, right? Okay. Okay. And Congress, okay, refused to act. Okay, Congress refused to act. And this is one of those times to where if you don't like qualified immunity, you're like, hey, right on Congress for not doing anything, right? Okay. <laughs> but where this all changes is in a court case in 1967. In this oh, wait, 1967, so we're 100 years on. Yeah, 100 years on, almost okay. 100 years on, okay? where the Supreme Court in the case of Pearson versus Ray held that a police officer had qualified immunity uh, from being sued for a false arrest, okay? Um, and in particular, and by the way, this is very troubling for liberals 
because this was the Supreme Court that was still being led by Chief Justice Earl Warren, and the vote was eight to one. I mean, this wasn't a close decision, okay? The court basically came out and said um, that Section 1983 of the 1871 Civil Rights Act did not explicitly overturn longstanding common law doctrine that gave government officials uh, immunity from being sued if they were merely doing their official duties and were acting in good faith. Were acting in good faith. And that becomes, if you will, the basis of qualified immunity. Because that's where the that's where the Supreme Court for the first time officially recognized the notion of qualified immunity. And they did it explicitly in the context of policing. So in order to not, in order to violate qualified immunity, in order to not be um, subject to qualified immunity, if a police officer knew that they were doing something that was egregious or out of right? Uh, well, basically, the, 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 the standard is this, Nia, okay? And this is kind of sort of developed in the subsequent, if you will, 15 to 20 years. If you sue a government official for violating your civil rights and civil liberties, you have to show that the police officer consciously, willingly violated the law, okay, or the Constitution what they should have known, okay, were legal or constitutional behavioral norms. Okay, so in the case of Mr. Floyd, he would not have, that officer would not have qualified immunity, probably. Probably not, because- Because it is clear- what, What police department says that that is the appropriate way to go ahead and take somebody into custody? Right by kneeling on their neck and even when they go ahead and say multiple times, I can't breathe, okay, that's not acceptable policing behavior. Well, okay? and nine minutes, I mean, the length of it, yes. the brutality yes. of it. So he's not going to be able to claim qualified immunity. No. Okay. okay. I, 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 or no. he can claim it, but it's probably not going to be yeah. found in his favor. So after the criminal trial, if the the, the, the state, uh, what, what, Minnesota, mm-hmm. if the state allows for those kind of civil lawsuits, okay, um, or, you know, the family could go ahead and file a section 1983 lawsuit in federal court asking for um, uh, civil damages, punitive and compens- compensatory damages um, uh, from those police officers. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, so in this particular case, it doesn't hold bearing on one of the more egregious examples that we've been, that we've been faced with. However, okay, because there have been subsequent Supreme Court rulings that have further developed the notion of qualified immunity, according to some research, okay, and by the way, I think there was also, um, a series of articles done by Reuters, R-E-U-T-E-R-S, Reuters News Service, about qualified immunity. 
I'll, I will link them if I can find them. Yeah. Okay. I'll link and, them and on the research guide. Yeah. We'll try to get those uh, 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 for you all listeners. Um, but um, basically what you now have, okay, is an extensive body of federal court case law that almost reflexively assumes that government officials deserve qualified immunity. Okay, it's almost as though they've gone to the other side of the spectrum. So whereas the federal courts, okay, prior to 1967, were generally skeptical of claims of qualified immunity, now there's been so much case law that most federal courts almost reflexively assume that police officers, but also other government officials, and we're going to get to the implications of getting rid of qualified immunity in just a moment. But a lot of research has now suggested, okay, it has become so firmly, if you will, entrenched or established in federal court case law that most federal courts just assume that a government official should get immunity that the lawsuits or lawsuits are frivolous. So the first thing that has to happen is that the person bringing the suit has to counter that and establish that the behavior was outside the norm. Yes. It was outside the standard actions of the, of the way that official or officials normally do their position. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. So the, so there's an assumption of innocence. Okay. I'm, I'm working that through in my brain because that doesn't seem fair. Well, it's not fair. I mean, it seems like what the first thing should happen is the first thing that should happen is a judge says, okay, tell me why you deserve qualified immunity. Tell me why they don't deserve it. And then, and then the two sides fight that part out. And then if if they're found to have qualified immunity, then you can say it's a frivolous lawsuit or whatever, but they shouldn't just assume that, I don't think. Do you? I mean, that doesn't seem fair. Oh, no, it doesn't seem fair at all. Okay, it doesn't seem fair at all. I mean, and in particular, what's difficult about this is that, um, uh, just to give you one example, in uh, the Supreme Court case, of Harlow versus Fitzgerald in 1982. Uh, Justice Powell writing for the majority um, said that government officials are generally shielded from immunity for civil civil damages um, as long as their conduct does not violate clearly established statutory or constitutional rights for which a reasonable person would have known. Now, there are two problems with that standard. First of all, okay, what, okay, who is this reasonable person, right? Yeah, I mean. I mean, we've discussed this in previous podcast episodes. Yes, reasonable is very hard to come by. Every time I think I'm being reasonable, you say, oh, but on the other hand, and I say, oh, no, I'm not reasonable. I mean, and you and I have joked about this off air, okay? You can only imagine the conversations I've had with my students okay, about the reasonable person standard, okay? And by the way, this is used in a number of legal contexts, right? Right. You know, 
in regards to judging whether or not a government regulation of porn, okay, has gone too far, okay? Right. Um, you know, well, and searches and seizures, and there's been lots of areas of the law where yeah, reasonable and it, and gets, it is, it, gets it, air it, quotes, which the listeners can't see, but you saw me just do. Yeah, and, it, it, and it's a significant standard in administrative law, right? But right. the other part of the standard laid out in the Harlow case by Justice Powell was does not violate clearly established stat statutory and constitutional rights, okay? For anybody who spent any time studying constitutional law or civil rights and civil liberties will tell you is that statutory and constitutional rights are the meaning of them are frequently changing right right you can't really establish something because it's quicksand right okay which has been used by the courts to actually benefit government officials including police officers because the police officer could go ahead and say hey i thought that this was for instance a reasonable search based on what our training was eight years ago well, in the subsequent eight years, what might have changed? Well, the Supreme Court may have issued a ruling, okay, saying that that's no longer a reasonable search, okay? Right. So at what, so the default position for many federal courts is we can't expect government officials, okay, to be- Legal scholars. Yeah, legal <laughs> scholars when they have other things that they're supposed to be doing. On the other hand, if you're an individual who has been harmed by a government official, you're kind of sort of thinking, well, at minimum, they should know. Right. Okay. What right. How, you shouldn't be enforcing a law that you don't understand, or you shouldn't be in, you shouldn't be using a technique that's eight years old if you're not, you know, if you can't establish that it's still the technique that's used. Yeah. I can see where that would be frustrating. You're like, I can't, I don't care that you went through the academy eight years ago. You should know that you're not allowed to do X, X thing to me. Yes, right? Okay, and it, 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 now do you understand why qualified immunity is so extremely problematic? Yes, right? it is very okay. fraught. Yes, okay. I there will just say that for the record. I am standing on, this is very fraught, this, as if my opinion matters, but there we go. But it has, a, it has a level of complexity that if I dare say, okay, uh, in the press coverage of, you know, the, you know the, the various movements or groups wanting to end qualified immunity, okay, it's not as simple as just voila let's get rid of it i was going to say i'd be willing to bet that now that i've decided i don't want it you're going to give me reasons why i do want it because that's how you roll every time i'm like okay well then i have established a thing you're like oh yes but here are some facts you don't have nia like it seems to me like qualified immunity is a terrible thing but i suspect you're about to say except in the following instances in which case it's an important thing well i mean hey like what happens if we get rid of it well i mean and here's the thing that I uh, pointed out in a column I wrote uh, for the Political Science Facebook page. If, 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 if we get rid of qualified immunity for police officers, okay, um, are we going to keep it for 
all the other unelected bureaucrats who also have significant discretion in their jobs? I mean, that, that's a fundamental question here, okay? Because this is qualified immunity for all unelected government officials. And I understand that right now it is police officer abuses, okay, that we want to eradicate, that we want to change. But the concept of qualified immunity applies for all unelected government bureaucrats, many of whom have as much significant discretion, though it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's life might be ended. But think about a social worker who has discretion on what they recommend happens to um, a child's living condition. If the child stays in, oh, a, I see. I decided you can go with the mother, or decided you go with the father, or father, foster care, or or whatever. Okay, that that's a huge life-altering choice yes. that person is making. Okay, or you know, think about you know. Uh, oh, and the kid grows up, and they go back, and they sue the social worker, and say you ruined my life by putting yes. me with that, the wrong parent or whatever. Or, you know, you kept me in that, you know, uh, a, a dangerous uh, household, or you shipped me off to foster care, and I ended up being abused in foster care, okay? And then, you know, I ended up becoming, you know, um, you know, ex as I became an adult, okay? Or, you know, think about somebody who um, uh, uh, spends all their life wanting to go go ahead and buy a piece of property and develop it for this particular purpose, and then some, you know, somebody in a state department of environmental quality or the federal department, of, uh, uh, you know, the federal EPA goes ahead and says, "Yeah, sorry, your property is near um, endangered species, and now you you cannot build it out." And oh yeah, by the way, you can't challenge my ruling. Okay. Well, that person has spent all their life wanting to go ahead and do X, and now you're going ahead and uh, basically, excuse the expression, crapping all over their dreams. Okay, I yeah, mean, their first instinct is going to be to sue you. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Well, their second instinct, their first but, instinct is illegal, yeah, which is, yeah, right. is to assault you in some way. But their second instinct is going to be to try to sue you. But I could see where if you did, if you allowed those decisions to be continuously brought into court then court. you could tie up that person well and you would tie up huge resources of the agency in fighting those lawsuits that's right, right. Like, no no we have to protect the spotted owl and if you're talking about the spotted owl versus the logging companies you're talking about enormous amounts of resources to go, to go into those lawsuits to defend those decisions because, okay, I can see where that would be financially egregious for some departments and agencies. And, and here's the thing, okay? There is now some scholarship that goes ahead and suggests that federal courts ruling in favor of police departments or police officers, okay, uh, really hasn't saved police officers much money because police officers are still spending significant, okay, re, uh, dollars on defending themselves from lawsuits. They may end up getting qualified immunity, 
but they still have to go ahead and hire lawyers to defend themselves in federal court. So qualified immunity isn't really saving police officers all that much money because they still got to go ahead and demonstrate to a court, okay, that they deserve qualified immunity, right? Okay. You have other scholars who've gone ahead and said qualified immunity, okay, doesn't take into account the huge amounts of discretion that all kinds of government officials have, okay? That the broader problem isn't qualified immunity. The broader problem is we've given qualified immunity to a whole bunch of people who have a lot of unchecked discretion in the first instance. Okay. I think so, so removing qualified immunity isn't the solution. The solution is better checks and balances with that level of discretionary power. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that makes more sense. That makes more sense than going the qualified immunity route is going the route of, okay, well then we have to have transparency and we have to have um, accountability. And yeah. And, and, and law in some public way and in some public way and legislatures, according to this research, legislatures have to do a better job at writing better laws. Because oh, well then it's hopeless. <laughs> because because captain vague writes all of the laws for every legislature in the nation plus the federal one and, and it happens at his the office state. is very busy i mean it happens also at the state level right state right that's what i'm saying yes. 50 plus one captain vague is working around the clock okay to write the most the most generic laws possible that have as many loopholes as you can fit in them. And, and, and to your point about, you know, my customary role of saying, okay, but what if? What I have said to advocates for getting rid of qualified immunity is, you know, I've said, okay, now are we getting rid of qualified immunity for just police officers or are we getting rid of it for all unelected government bureaucrats? Can and, I, and, oh, and I and I get and I get a blank look and I said, hey, guys, part of the calculation here is you want Congress, okay, at the federal level, states, state legislatures at the state leg, uh, level, okay, to change qualified immunity for police officers. I said you do understand that there are many government employee labor unions who will go ahead and fight you if you want to extend this for all government bureaucrats. And I said, and moreover, how do you overcome the rather potent labor unions associated with many police departments across the country? Because part of their argument is, if you're not going to protect us in court, okay, and you're not going to pay us a decent salary, and if you're not going to give us good training, and if you're not going to give us well-written laws that are understood by not only government officials, by the public, why in the world would any of us go to work for the government? Right. So I said, you need to be able to respond to those critiques. Can I, yeah. can I make a suggestion? Yeah. So couldn't we remove qualified immunity from cases of, of um, bodily harm? 
Sure you could. Okay, sure. Where you we could. could say we could say no no. If there was bodily harm done, right? Up to death, but also serious assault. And I don't mean like, oh, I you banged your head against the police car when you were getting into the car. You know, not like that, but like officers who assault people, right? There's a there's a video going around now of officers kicking someone before they or the most recent, him, or, or the most know, recent event with uh, Jacob Blake, uh, who right. was paralyzed, right? Okay. Right. So you could, I would say that couldn't you remove it in those instances and say there's no qualified immunity when the when the victim is okay has right. has had great bodily harm done to them and up to death. Okay, theoretically you could do that, but then my question to you, Nia, is. How do we distinguish bodily harm from emotional trauma? Yeah, I know. As I was saying it, I was thinking, oh, but there's other kinds of harm. See, this is one of the things I both love and despise about you, um, is that every time I think I have a solution midway through the sentence, I'm like, you should just stop talking because this is not right. I, it, what, what Really what the answer here is that it is a deeply, deeply nuanced question and it is not as simple as we should just get rid of qualified immunity we should allow people we should allow irs investigators to investigate people it's what they do they shouldn't be allowed to harass you or be mean to you but they should be allowed to say no i'm going to need to see your records because i think you violated the law and you shouldn't be able to sue the irs to keep them from looking at your at your records, which is what essentially people are doing when they're trying to, well, anyway. Uh, no, I, no, 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 but you raise really good points. And, and, and I've told supporters of getting rid of qualified immunity for police officers or even in general. I'm like, you know, there's plenty of research to support the position, okay? You know, and, you know, and I'm generally in favor of it, but I said, if you're going to wade into this issue, understand its complexity and be able to respond and address, okay, the counter arguments. And that's part of the difficulty here. I mean, this is one of those unintended consequences of having a large modern administrative state, okay? Um, I want you to have discretion to do stuff until you hurt me, in which case I don't want you to have discretion to do stuff. That's right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, essentially. So, yeah. Right. right? And he said, you know, you know, I said, I'm old enough to remember why many communities, particularly urban communities, wanted greater police presence throughout the 1980s and the 1990s. Okay. But one of the unintended consequences is when you have large police departments with a lot of officers, okay. Not all of them get trained well. Not always, you know, uh, the the most civic-minded are hired, um, and um, not all of them are capable of the nuanced work that is required of being a police officer. Okay, just like, for instance, back to your hypothetical a few moments ago of the IRS agent. Do we have a lot of good IRS agents working in the country? Okay, do we have a lot of good tax agents working for state governments and local governments? Heck yes, Absolutely. we do. Absolutely. Okay, right. 
On the other hand, we also have some folks who shouldn't be shouldn't be allowed to exercise any government authority, whether it be police, tax, environmental, social services, teaching, whatever. Okay. Right. Okay. But there's been no, to my knowledge, no government personnel system ever adopted. Okay. That completely. Okay. Removes those people out. Yes. Weeds those people out. Right. Yeah. So then we have to go back to what discretion have we given them? Okay. And this is a huge issue, right? Right. If legislatures write vague laws, guess who has to go ahead, excuse the expression, make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Okay. It's unelected bureaucrats. Okay. Right. Unelected bureaucrats. And that's always been part of the rub with the modern administrative state whether it be law enforcement, okay, environmental enforcement, okay, national security. I mean, you and I've spent a lot of time, you know, studying uh, homeland security and emergency preparedness, right? Okay, the amount of discretion given folks, okay, in both of those fields is oh, it's truly, huge. Yeah, it's truly awe-inspiring. Right, and in the case of emergency preparedness, you know, if you think about a massive hurricane like Katrina, Right. And the mistakes that were made by people who were well-meaning and who were trying to do the right thing and, and made mistakes, if they were held accountable for good-intentioned mistakes, nobody would go into that job. Nobody would want to be. And then in the next hurricane, uh, 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 Nia, they would be less likely to go ahead and take well-intentioned, well-justified risks to save people. Right. Because if the result is you're going to get sued. Then you, okay. then you stand quietly and hope for something else. That's right. I mean, because in part, that's what a lot of federal judges point to when they grant qualified immunity. How can we expect these people to do difficult jobs if they're always second-guessing themselves because they're afraid of being sued? Now, I understand. Okay, that doesn't apply when a police officer quite obviously knows that their behavior is physically harming and violating a person's civil rights. But on the other hand, a lot of these things are judgment calls. They're complete yeah. judgment calls. It would be wonderful if every case was as clear cut as Mr. Floyd's case. Yes. But in fact, that is the rarity, I am sure. Yes. I'm sure that a lot more cases are a lot grayer. I mean, that case is so egregious. And the reason that it sparked such movement is because it's so egregious. Yes. It's so clearly a violation. But, you know, if, if that were the case all the time, um, I think this would be less of a question. The, this is more of a question because that is the outlier. The yes. outlier is Mr. Floyd. The vast majority of people are are way to the inner circle of that and not doing that level of harm. Yeah, that's right. And that level of open, naked um, ignorance of the law and of norms and of ethical behaviors. Maybe, that's they're, right. They're not, they're not in that way. They actually can make a legitimate argument that they thought they were doing the right thing. In, in I would say in most of the in most of the cases where this would come up. 
So at least, mean, at least that may be Pollyanna, but that's what I prefer to believe. I prefer no, to no, believe I, that, I, I, no, I, that I, we're I not to, seeing, yeah. you know. Yeah, I happen to agree with you um, okay. uh, on that point. And, and again, the difficulty here is for those who want to get rid of qualified immunity, you basically have two avenues. Either you can convince legislative bodies, okay, to uh, rein in qualified immunity, which they could, you know. They, I know that some states and localities are considering it now, aren't they? There's that's right. Yeah. There's bills okay. in lots of different legislatures yeah. where people are talking about it. But I mean, in regards to the uh, the current United States Congress, as it relates to Section One Nine Eight Three lawsuits in federal court, okay, um, you know, the House has passed something, but the Senate, okay, hasn't even looked at it, okay. Um, you know, another. <laughs> Another example of elections have consequences, okay? Um, Is that a partisan I mean, divide? I mean, it's somewhat partisan, though I have to add, here's the other thing. It's it was really easy for the House to pass it because in part they actually knew that the Senate would never consider it. I mean, the Democrats in the House of Representatives, Nia, are going to have an issue as it relates to government unions if this ever is okay, actively considered in the Senate, okay, because labor unions typically vote for which political party in this country? Democrats. Democrats, right? So it was really easy for the Democrats um, in the House to go ahead and support it because they basically knew that the Senate would not take it up. Okay, okay and, I, and unions would see that as, as undermining their protections for their members yeah i mean because again the logic and of they could conceivably hold democrats responsible for that that's right they, okay okay and again remember the logic of many uh government employee labor unions if you're not going to go ahead and give us qualified immunity and you're not going to give us all the okay, other supports yeah the good training okay um and the pay okay uh, why in the world would we go ahead um, and do this kind of work? And risk our lives and do... Yes, right. yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so your now, choice is get... The legislature to go ahead and... The federal on, Congress to get or rid the, of... Or, or get the Supreme Court to do something. And by the way, as you and I talked about in one of our uh, podcast episodes in our summer of SCOTUS this past summer, season four, okay, the Supreme Court had an opportunity to take uh, eight different qualified immunity cases for the upcoming Supreme Court term, and they said no. So they Jay Rob's no. not likely to want to talk about this. Oh my goodness, no. And what's really fascinating is the two justices currently on the Supreme Court who have openly written opinions, okay, when appeals have been denied, saying that the court should take qualified immunity cases are the two ideological extremes on the current Supreme Court. Sonia Sotomayor and Clarence Thomas both have said it's time for the court to re-examine its qualified immunity precedent. Yes. Huh. So that would be an interesting fight to listen to on. Oh yeah, I mean because on the on the, uh, on the Zoom calls. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and, and think about it. I mean, you know, 
you've heard the expression, politics makes strange bedfellows. Legal issues make strange bedfellows. Because both of them, in saying that the court should examine their precedent about qualified immunity, it was fairly clear. Both of them want to get rid of qualified immunity. For Clarence Thomas, okay, there is nothing in the original Constitution that supports qualified immunity. He doesn't even think, okay, that what the court came up with in the 1967 case was rooted in British common law. Whereas for Sonia Sotomayor, okay, um, her perspective is it is giving a free pass, okay, to criminal government official behavior. So she doesn't care about the origins. She's focusing on the outcomes, whereas Clarence Thomas is like, okay, well, whether or not it leads to a good or bad outcome, okay, is beyond my, you know, purview. My concern here is we went ahead and created something what, that wasn't rooted in American legal tradition. We ought to get rid of it. Yeah. Huh. That yeah. would be, yeah, that would be an interesting, although as, as clearly noted, uh, J-Rob decided not to hear anything about. Yeah, Chief Justice John Roberts is an incrementalist, okay? For the court to go ahead and take a case to go ahead and He's get like, look, 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 we already gave half of Oklahoma back to the Native American tribes. How about we take a break on, <laughs> on humongous cases that give everybody lots of stress? Yeah, okay. no gun control cases, no qualified immunity cases. Okay, I'm tired. I want to go ahead and take a nap. <laughs> okay, we went as far I fell as down while I was break dancing. I need a break from all of this. He didn't actually, but if that got out, it would be lovely. That'd be a great rumor. I think I'm going to start that. <laughs> um, because but anyways, uh, I, I, so, I'm, glad, I'm glad you raised the question of qualified immunity because... Um, uh, uh, a situation like what happened to Mr. Floyd, okay, um, can be a galvanizing public policy event, okay, um, where we have a rare window of opportunity, okay, but if you're going to go ahead and use that window of opportunity, understand, okay, that the window may not be as open as much as you think, that getting through that window, okay, is going to require to, uh, uh, require you to respond and be able to counter, okay, very legitimate arguments for why qualified immunity should still exist. Well, okay? and reacting to the worst case scenario is not always the smartest long-term path. Yes. Okay. Because, yes, in this particular instance, of course, there should not be qualified immunity. Hello. No right. one's questioning that. Like, I don't think any, even police officers saying, are saying, dude, that was completely wrong. Like, that's yeah. not okay. Yep. So I think we can all agree as humans that that is a situation, that that is an extreme situation. And that it would be, um, that it might be deleterious to think of that as the standard by which we judge qualified immunity when we ought to be thinking more in terms of the lady behind the DMV counter, who is much more likely to be um, caught up in the things you're not thinking about when you think about getting rid of qualified immunity. Yeah, the social workers, the teachers, okay, 
the you know you know tax agents uh the you know agricultural um extension agents right you know all these all these government officials at the federal level state level local level that have a huge amount of discretion okay what's that going to mean in regards to how they do their jobs okay well, and what problem are you solving for yes if you're if you're solving for a certain problem then maybe getting rid of qualified immunity is what you need but if you're solving for the problem of discretion qualified immunity isn't going to fix it no you have to solve for the problem that you want that you want to fix we have a tendency to to kind of not do that sometimes as humans we we don't think about what problem are you actually trying to solve and then what's the solution to that problem and if this is not the solution to that problem if this is a hammer and what you need is a screwdriver then yeah, good metaphor. Then yeah. everybody here is going to be unhappy. <laughs> like yes, nobody's yeah, getting right. the right tool and people are getting hit by hammers that don't need to be. So Yeah, right. Okay. Am I the, am I right about like that that's no, a yeah, way to I, think I, of it? Yeah, I mean that's spot on, right? I mean, because in part, okay, um, if a lot of these government officials did not have so much, you know, if you will, unchecked discretion, okay. Um then you wouldn't be seeing all these lawsuits challenging how they did use their authority. And you wouldn't have to come up with this judge made way to go ahead and give them cover. Okay. For what in many instances, you know, they legitimately thought they were doing the right thing. Right. They were doing their job. They didn't think that they were harming anybody. Right. Um, Now, you know, again, are there folks who, again, and I've said this before, Okay, there are some people who should not be allowed anywhere near government positions where they have discretion. They just shouldn't be, right? Right. You press this button every 30 seconds. That's (laughs) all you do. You don't decide whether to press the button. You don't decide how often to press the button. You just press the button every 30 seconds. Like you give those people that kind of job. That's and the right. kind of job where you have to make the decisions about when and how to press a button and under what circumstances you give to people who are better qualified to do it or better trained. Yeah, better trained. Okay. Or, you know, have have have, have the, the personality, have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to go ahead and handle those kinds of, you know, right. interesting what if questions. But otherwise, now, right? <laughs> But anyways, thank you so much for talking to me about this. I feel like I understand it better. I also feel like it's more complicated than uh, than the slogans on pieces of paper would tell you. Um, So I would urge listeners to to look into it. I'm going to connect you or I'm going to put some links up on the guide for a couple of these cases and for that section so that people can read the section, the one nine eight three. section um and we will uh talk again yep thank you hey i really enjoyed it thanks Neil. you've been listening to civil discourse brought to you by vcu libraries Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at 
guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.